0: Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon allevia skincare. And we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser. So it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it. And not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly and it's not a soap it is a prebiotic body cleanser so it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome and it works so well especially if you have sensitive skin it can help with eczema pariasis body acne things like that we love the green tea honeysuckle scent it smells heavenly it's so amazing i usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping and they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to allevia.com That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. Hello everyone, today I have Parijat Deshpande here joining me. She is the leading integrative high-risk pregnancy specialist, somatic trauma professional, and speaker and author who guides women to improve their pregnancy complications so that they can reduce their risk of preterm birth. Her unique neurobiological approach has served hundreds of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim a safety and trust in their bodies that they thought was eroded forever. Pari Joth is the author of best-selling book Pregnancy Brain: A Mind-Body Approach to Stress Management During a High-Risk Pregnancy. She's also the host of the popular podcast Delivering Miracles that discusses the real, raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and healing once baby comes home. You can learn more about Parijath and her work at www.parijath-pande.com. I will link that in the episode notes. Hi, Parijath. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for having me. I would love it if you could just tell our audience who you are, a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do. Sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Parijat Deshpande. I am an
1: integrative high-risk pregnancy specialist and somatic trauma professional. And I work essentially with clients who are trying to conceive and newly pregnant after second or third trimester loss or preterm delivery, neonatal loss, stillbirth, any of those complications. And I teach them kind of a neurobiological integrative approach on how to help them stay pregnant in their next pregnancy and beat those medical odds and have a different experience next time. And that work is entirely drawn from my own personal experience of having been that person. I have been through infertility and losses and a very high risk pregnancy. And my son was born extremely preterm. And it was in those final days of that pregnancy where I saw that there is more to the exceptional medical care that I received that played a role in helping me stay pregnant for as long as I did, even though the pregnancy was very short. And it was that experience that made me think, I don't have any superpowers. I don't have you know any kind of special skills here that nobody else can learn. Um, and so I really felt very called to, change my profession, change my career, change kind of the direction my life had already altered entirely by that point. And I thought, you know what, this is what I'm meant to do on this earth is to teach women how to have healthy high-risk pregnancies and to help them bring their babies home. And, and that's kind of how I've
0: found my way here. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So kind of to jump right in, can we talk about some basics? Can you tell us what is stress and um, maybe specifically um, stress related to pregnancy? Yeah. So stress,
1: stress is a word we use, we throw around in a lot of different ways that we should not be throwing around, (laughs) which is true. I think for a lot of things as it pertains to health, Um, stress is a physiological chain reaction that happens anytime we are presented with a threat. And so you notice that nowhere in there is there choice, a decision, or any kind of judgment about what that threat is. Threat can be anything from a dog barking from behind a fence as you're going for a walk to almost slipping on some black ice and almost coming down on your head. It could be having to do a presentation in front of your colleagues, whether it's on Zoom or in person. It can be waiting for a pregnancy test. It can be waiting for your ultrasound results. It can be waiting to feel that first kick. It can be seeing blood when you go to the bathroom. So it's anything. It is anything that your nervous system and particular parts of your body that identifies threatening to you. And in the case of pregnancy, especially with the people that I work with, who've already been through complications preterm delivery, birth trauma, loss, something like that. Oftentimes that threat is pregnancy in and of itself. The Mm -hmm. sensations of pregnancy sometimes. And what I see actually even is very early on in pregnancy when you don't even know you're pregnant, but your body's changing. There is an internal sensor that's kind of noticing these changes in your body and it's going ding, ding. That's not, that's not safe. Remember what happened last time? That's not safe. And so it is the physiological chain reaction that happens in every single corner of your body because of that uh, understanding and that, that um, the, just the, I, the
0: identification of that threat. So interesting. So is it possible that different people would have different reactions to an event? So someone might experience an event or a stimulus or something as stressful or stress while another person wouldn't.
1: Absolutely. So you and I could be going for a walk together and we're having a wonderful time. We're chatting. Everything's fine. And then the dog barks from behind the fence and I could have a full blown, you know, I'd be the, maybe the one that jumps up and just go, Oh my gosh, what was that? And you could be the one that goes, Oh, that's just a dog Mm -hmm. because our bodies are very different. And our threat levels and what we're identifying as threat are very different based on so many different factors. And so even in that very exact same moment where we both are right there and we both heard that dog, we could have very different responses and our bodies Mm -hmm. would be doing very
0: different things at that time. That's so fascinating to me. So what are some common misconceptions about stress and pregnancy? Well, I think the first one is that we cause it, that we, that we, we bring it on
1: ourselves and that stress is the cause of complications, issues in pregnancy, preterm delivery, anything like that. And I say those two together. I know you said um, one, but they come together because I think they, they are extremely connected, right. In that, if we go back to what we talked about, what stress actually is, there's no opportunity for choice, decision-making judgment of any kind it, because thoughts are too slow, right? So when I hear that dog barking, if I sat there and thought, what was that? That was a dog. Everything's okay. By that point, if that was an actual threat that could have threatened my life, I would have been eaten by that dog. <laughs> like it would have been over. And so it bypasses the physiology of stress. And the reason I'm saying this, I'm hitting this home so hard is because it bypasses thinking. And I think it's so important for people to realize that because when we use the word stress colloquially, we use it as if we are doing it to ourselves and it's just not like Mm -hmm. that. That reaction happens outside of conscious awareness and outside of thoughts. And because of that, when we start talking about it in terms of pregnancy, yes, that physiological chain reaction does impact your health before, during, and after pregnancy. It does. Again, though, it's not by your choice. You're not doing it. You are not causing it. And it is not the cause. It is part of a larger puzzle that once put together can put you at risk for certain complications.
0: That's so interesting to me. And I'm really resonating with everything that you're saying because I'm a person that really struggles with anxiety and I constantly feel stressed. And, you know, there are people in my life, um, particularly my husband, who doesn't experience that and he doesn't really understand um, that it's not within my control. And so I'm wondering, you know, I feel I kn- know that my stress responses are a physiological response. They're often not cognitive. It's not because I'm like mentally stressed, I'm not anxious about something that, I mean, sometimes I am, but I'm not like feeling anxious or stressed really about something that's happening. It's really, my heart rate is all of a sudden increasing and my chest is feeling restricted and I can't feel like I can't take deep breaths. And it's not something that, that I can control, but I'm just wondering, you know, if it's not my choice, what, and maybe we'll get to this later, but I'm just so curious, is, is there a way to kind of retrain your physiology to not respond in that way? Maybe that's what you do that you ask that. Yes. Yes. The
1: answer is yes. And that's what (laughs) I do. (laughs) I love that you ask that because yes, that, that is, I think the coolest part about the human body, especially as we do neurobiological work, almost everything is retrainable. And Mm. I find so much hope in that. Oh my goodness. That yes, this is maybe how it is now. Maybe if you look back to five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe your entire life for as long as you can remember, this is how it's been. Absolutely. That's very real, right? And we definitely are not going to discount that. And, and this is not guaranteed your future. There is training that can happen. You can retrain your body. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to all go from super stressed out to like complete Zen status. Mm-hmm. overnight or maybe even ever, right? So we're not going to be comparing to some kind of rubric that exists out there somewhere else. We're going to do it for ourselves, you know, in our, and we just like we have kind of a, a window within which we can describe about how tall we're going to be when we're kids, right? Like if, you're, if you have tall parents, you're probably going to be on the taller side. If you have short parents, you're on the shorter side, right? This kind of thing is the same. Our physiology is not all exactly the same. And so we have our own windows and yes, within that window, we can absolutely train ourselves. It's really, really,
0: really powerful work. Yeah, that's, that's so amazing. I've been trying to learn more about that. I'm so glad I'm talking to you because it also just seems like, while I believe that is true, I totally believe that we can retrain ourselves. That's something that I think is so hard to find information on and to find professionals that will work with you on that. It's kind of like this thing where I know, I know that I can retrain my body, but how do I do it? And so, um, I kind of want to keep defining some terms first here and the touching on the basics, but maybe we can get into some of the things that you do, um, with women later on. So can you describe, um, the difference between acute stress, chronic stress and traumatic stress?
1: Yeah. So we, again, we use the term stress and we just kind of throw it out there, but it's actually a very large umbrella term that encapsulates a lot of different variations. And so again, just to recap, stress is a physiological chain reaction. It's a very predictable body pattern that every, basically every mammal has. It goes the same way for everybody. And within that, we've got acute stress, which is a one-time event that is just related to that one moment, like the dog barking behind the fence, right? Mm -hmm. Assuming, let's say, we'll take us out of the pandemic era for now and we'll say none of that's been happening. And so I have, let's say no, and we're doing this in a vacuum. Lots of asterisks behind this yeah. example here, but but acute stress is essentially. I, I'm not coming into that scenario with anything. My baseline is in that kind of safe zone. My physiology is working in that rest digest mode, and then we're on that walk, and I hear the dog. That's acute stress. My whole body will do the exact same thing that it's going to try to do with chronic and traumatic stress it's just those things get stalled and i'll explain that in a second but there's a very predictable pattern and we can actually track it pretty easily right we're walking we're chatting everything's feeling fine bodies relaxed we hear the bark and what happens we maybe we gasp in and our breathing becomes shallow and fast and our heart races maybe my hands are sweaty and i'm looking around like where's you know trying to find where that sound came from and my vision becomes tunnel vision And then you, you know, you go, Hey, it was just a dog. There it is over there. It's fine. It stopped barking. And then what happens to me after that is, oh, okay. Right. Before I can even think I have to locate that sound. Okay. There it is. Oh, it is just a dog. Then it kind of maps in my head of, oh, I've seen those dogs before. Those dogs are safe. Oh, it's behind a fence. It's protecting its territory. Right. So this all happens again, outside of conscious awareness, you're basically mapping your known memories to that moment, you start noticing your breath slowing down. You notice your heart rate slowing down. That's when I'm going to notice how much I've been sweating to pull off mm-hmm. my jacket. Cause Oh my gosh, I'm really hot. Yeah. And then I'm going to look to you and go, ha. Huh? Oh my gosh. I totally got so scared with that little dog over there. Right. That's when I'm going to engage in language and I'm going to engage in connection. Again, mm-hmm. it's extremely predictable how that goes. Now, if you take that exact example and You put uh, any of us in a situation where there's a dog barking, as an example, as just an analogy over and over and over, that's where we get into chronic stress. So we have the, everything's okay. Oh my gosh, two. Okay. I'm going to come back down. Oh, okay. But it's here again. Then I'm going to come back down and, oh my gosh, it's happening again, right? This can be with, um, with anything. It can be due to work. It can be due to health issues. It can be due to, uh, trouble at home. Um, I mean, there's so many things there. It's not about the event, right? It's about, it could be anything that keeps happening over and over. And that whole pattern repeats consistently. Mm-hmm. And so you're not actually getting enough time to recover before you're back in that kind of spot again. And traumatic stress is then, you know, you're at baseline, I'm simplifying this majorly, but essentially you are at your baseline and then you have that dog barking moment and then you get frozen there. You don't even come back down. And that's what I typically see with my clients who have experienced preterm birth, late-term loss, pregnancy complications, is that that happened, that moment happened. And for so many different reasons, they were not able to have that resolution side of it, the deactivation side of it. When we get frozen and that dog barking spot, that's
0: what we call trauma. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that if somebody experiences trauma and they don't, they don't have that resolution where their that stress level comes down, is that they're now like in a stress, their body is in a stress state for everything, or is it just that? It, like, is that what you're saying? That just all the time I'm I'm going through my daily life and I'm in a constantly stressed state.
1: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the thing with humans is we can fake it pretty well. Mm-hmm. So the out, outer appearance can look like I'm fine. Look, I'm smiling. I'm showing up for work. I'm taking care of the kids. I'm, you know, going to my birthday parties or whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm here. But inside is an extremely different story. What's happening physiologically in the body is a very different experience. And so you're kind of living two lives almost, and that in and of itself can be so exhausting. And so it's very common then for people who are living with traumatic stress to be
0: really, really
1: tired. Mm -hmm. And I think especially now when we bring it back to present day, we've been in this pandemic for how many months now, and just the level of sheer fatigue that is here across the board around the world. I think can be very easily mapped to to what you just asked.
0: Yeah. So, what constitutes um, birth trauma or pregnancy trauma? And can can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah. So,
1: you know, we're talking about that physiological reaction, and then when we add trauma to it, that means the com- the reaction couldn't complete. Right. It's an incomplete. Uh, response or reaction, you know, it's, it's, we're frozen in that state. And essentially what pregnancy trauma or birth trauma means is that something like that dog barking happened in pregnancy or in or around the birth time. And it was something that it was not able to be resolved from.
0: Mm. So is there a way to resolve that trauma? Yeah, there is.
1: There is. And it's so much simpler than you'd think. My training, my original training was in clinical psychology and we were trained to identify complex cases. I worked with a lot of clients, um, adults, children, adolescents with PTSD Mm. and one to say, just whether you have the PTSD diagnosis or not, does not determine whether you have trauma, you can have, be living with traumatic stress and not qualify for the diagnosis or not have the diagnosis. I did want to say that. Mm-hmm. And the, the training was, well, when it's complicated like that, you're going to be in therapy forever. You're going to be in therapy for a long time. And we're going to slowly chip our way through this. And it was after my own experiences of infertility and the losses and the high-risk pregnancy and being in the NICU and all of that, uh, that I went, I'm not interested. I've already been through enough. I'm not interested in spending the rest of my life trying to f- figure out what happened. Right. And so I st- I enhanced my training into somatic and sensory motor approaches. And that's when we, oh my gosh, it was like a light bulb moment. Just went, mm-hmm. oh, here it is, here it is. All we have to do is follow physiology, right? I've said a few times on purpose, stress is a physiological chain reaction that is very predictable. Trauma is simply being frozen in there. Like I imagine like um, a clogged pipe, the water flows through that pipe very predictably in a very predictable fashion until something stops it there and then it gets clogged up and then it gets backed up. And that's when we have a problem, right? All we have to do is remove the clog, so to speak. But we know exactly how to do that when we understand what our body is trying to do to resolve that very predictable pattern. It's so cool because it doesn't take long. It really doesn't take long. Now, that does that's not to say great, I'm gonna commit six months to this and it's over. Healing is a lifestyle. So you're now committing to go to the gym for the rest of your life, which maybe sounds horrible to some people. So maybe think of it like running or yoga whatever it is that makes you happy, but you've got to do it forever. It's like taking a shower. We all have to do it
0: forever. Can you, so you, you mentioned somatic and sensory motor. Can you kind of expand on what those are, what, what those words mean? Oh, sure. Yes. So somatic means body-based. So uh, essentially
1: the understanding about trauma is that it is not a mental health issue. It is a whole body issue. And if we go back again to that definition of stress, you can see it involves the entire body, right? So Mm -hmm. whole body. And so we address this from the body perspective and we say, okay, what is your body telling us about what state and what phase of that whole process it's frozen in? And sensory motor is one of the approaches that is somatic meaning body-based, which means, that we can address and kind of unlock or un- unclog that pipe, so to speak, by accessing your, your sensory system as well as your motor system and how they work together. Motor meaning movement, sensory meaning the five senses that we talk about, but also the internal senses of where do we know where our body is in time and space? Do we know how our body moves in time and space? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those together are really beautiful in extremely powerful ways. I think of it, this is a terrible analogy maybe, but I think of it like a Drano for a clogged drain. Mm-hmm. Like it works really great. And once it's unclogged, you've got to do the, the rest of the work to keep that drain from being
0: clogged again. Wow. So I'm just, I just want to know more. I just, had I know, <laughs> I'm sure I know I want to share everything, everything but- Yes. Can you give us some examples of what this might look like? Yeah,
1: here's a great one. So if we take that example of the dog, right? Mm -hmm. And we're walking and I have that reaction of, oh my God, the dog, right? One of the things I shared in that example is my eyes focus in. So anytime there is a threat that we experience, anything, it's a test that's coming up. It's a doctor's appointment. It's, you know, whatever it does, does not matter what it is we lose peripheral vision. Okay. And you can probably test that out next time. You will notice that it's, it, it's almost like it goes. It's not even on your radar. It doesn't exist. It's because you need to look forward because you need to either find the threat. So I need to find where that dog is to make sure it's not coming after me, or I need to find my way out to get away from that dog. That is the ultimate goal of your vision sense, right? So we're talking about that sensory system. One of the ways that we can start to restore kind of unclog that pipe, so to speak is to restore access to full vision, right? And so a lot of clients that I work with when we start talking about the vision, they go, well, yeah, I can see everything. I said, okay, great. Now let's, you know, you can do a very simple exercise of putting your fingers right in front of you and pulling your hands to the sides. And where do you stop seeing your fingers? Most people with traumatic stress will stop pretty far forward and won't go all the way back to where the full peripheral vision is. Now, assuming there are no other, um, of course, ophthalmological issues going on, Mm -hmm. but that's one of those examples where we can start to see, okay, which one of those senses. So maybe for you, it may not be vision. Maybe it's, you know, it's not so bad there. It might be another sense of yours that has what I call has gone offline. Because when we're in that threatened place, your body only prioritizes the parts of your body that are required to keep you alive and deprioritizes everything else. So if you don't need smell to get out of that situation, right? So for example, somebody who is Around a fire, right? Their sense of smell is going to be heightened because they need to know where that smoke is coming from to get out. Whereas if I'm running from a dog, I don't really need to know what it smells like, right? So, you know, just as a simple example, so the body is going to adjust to that situation. And in that, your body is going to prioritize certain body functions and deprioritize others. That also tells the story of the moment that you became frozen in trauma. And I think. When I, when I'm working with my clients, even if they can't remember what exactly happened at the time of birth or when they were the NICU or right before they were induced or anything like that, their body is telling the story and what senses they have access to and which ones are dulled. Tell me a little bit about what might've been going on, even if they can't remember. And it's, it's a great place then for us to start that work together.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. So I, so for my understanding, when we're talking about trauma and a traumatic event, there can be like these capital T kind of trauma events, but then can, can somebody also kind of experience this ongoing traumatic stress, even if they didn't experience a capital T traumatic event, but maybe they just had a lot of things in their life that have kind of added up and put them in this, like this, this constant feeling of feeling unsafe in their body. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't, to be honest, I don't love the capital T little t explanations of trauma Mm -hmm. because I think it still qualifies trauma from the eyes of the person who was not there. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where we really get it wrong. When we start talking about any kind of trauma, And this is especially important. I think for birthing people where it's almost like their trauma is defined for them. Like, well, baby was fine. You're fine. It can't be trauma. And that's not true. Right. Right. So yeah, you're right. You're right. That you, it may not have been this big event. It could be multiple events that were kind of this low grade experience. If you remember when we talked about chronic stress, of you, you have that kind of elevated activated moment, and then you come back down, then you're back up again. If you can't actually come back down because the next thing happens so quickly, that can compound itself into actually helping facilitate freezing in that activated state, which is what we call trauma that can absolutely Mm -hmm. happen. And I see that frequently with clients who have kind of, um, consecutive issues. So for example, they develop pregnancy complications, then they deliver preterm and then they're in the NICU, um, and then all the medical care after that. I mean, it's just one nonstop line of things and, and that can absolutely compound together as you can imagine, it's compressed together and result in being frozen in that state, which is what we call trauma, yeah.
0: Yeah. I know that you, your main focus is pregnant pregnancy, birth, pregnant women. Um, but I'm it's so interesting hearing you talk and explain some of these concepts because I'm drawing so many parallels and making connections between just like parenting in general and specifically yeah. reparenting. Um, I know that's kind of like a buzzword right now, but you know, a lot of us have experienced um, I don't want to say it might be like you're saying, it might be traumatic events growing up or, you know, we have these triggers, we're reactive, we're we're constantly stressed by our kids. And like, we don't know how to like calm down and make ourselves feel safe. And that's something that I talk about a lot because it's something that I'm going through myself and I'm working through myself. Um, and so I'm drawing all of these parallels and, I'm just wondering what your thoughts on are about that. Maybe that's a really broad question, but I'm just so curious about your thoughts about parenting and having these like triggers and feeling like you can't be calm for your children. And also earlier listening to you talk about, um, you were giving an ex- the example of the dog barking and how you kind of went through the process of calming down. And part of that was connecting with the person that was with you. And so we call that co-regulation, right? Um, and that's what we do with our kids or that's what the goal is. And so I'm just curious hear your thoughts about all of that. If you have anything um, to share.
1: Absolutely. And I think that is never more prevalent than it is right now, as many of us are parenting in a pandemic where everybody is just heightened and there's so much uncertainty still. There's just a lot of unknowns right now. And I've definitely heard from a lot of parents just like, I can't, I don't know what what I'm doing wrong. I can't. And, And the message that I've got is you're not doing anything wrong. We can't co-regulate when we are still activated. Mm -hmm. I'll say that again, because I think it's really important to hear. We can't co-regulate until as long as we're activated. And so if you remember that dog barking example, co-regulation was the very last thing that happened, very last thing that happened. I need to first know that I'm safe. I need to start coming down. I need to be able to tolerate coming down. I need to get access to my whole body again, right? So when I'm looking for that dog, I don't I, can, I don't feel my hands, right? We don't, and we don't think about that in the moment, but I need to get access to me again. I need to get back into my body again. I need to know what's happening. And then, and only then will I be able to turn to you and and have a conversation or to look to you for reassurance or something like that in a way that's going to keep me in that safe, physiologically safe zone. Right. And I think that same thing is happening for parents is we want to be available for our children, of course, and we're doing the very best that we can. And so when you're trying to do that, be really mindful of what state you might be in. Right. And, and use that dog example, if that helps you kind of visualize it, but where on the spectrum am I with relation to the dog? right because if you're in it you're not going to be able to help the child co-regulate and that's not a fault of yours it's again it's not a choice your body is prioritizing your safety first before you are able
0: to do something for another right and i think that's such an important part of this conversation is it's not a choice and i think that is one of the hardest parts you know i I strive to be a respectful, gentle parent. A lot of the listeners here do too as well. Um, But I think for me, the hardest part is I know all, I mean, I don't know all of the things, but I know many of the things. I know many of the concepts of respectful parenting. I know how I would like to be responding to my child, but when it comes down to it, when you're in those moments where you're triggered by something your child is doing and your body goes into fight mode or flight mode or freeze mode or whatever, and your body suddenly feels unsafe because my. My child is yelling at me and my parents yelled at me growing up and I didn't feel safe. And so now that's a trigger for me. Yep. You can't, it's, you can't think your way through these things. It's, it's their automatic reactions. Um, do you have any like quick tips for parents of if they're struggling with this kind of thing, where they could start to kind of, you know, do the work and try not to be as reactive and tr- retrain those physiological responses?
1: Yeah. I think that's, It's such a great example. Um, And what I'll say is I'll say the, the unpopular answer first, and then I'll give you a couple of things. The unpopular answer is there's no way to hack out of the trauma response. There's no way to do it. And you're going to see people talking about it and give you all these tips. And they're, they're not, they're meant to be much farther down on that spectrum away from that dog moment then you may be. And so if you're trying them and they're not working, it's not you, right? I really want people to hear that. Cause I think I, I get a lot of messages of I've tried everything. It's not working. And when we actually map it out and go, you're actually here mid dog barking, but you're trying things that are meant to be done when you've actually felt your body again, that's why mm-hmm. it's not working. It's not you. Right. So where to begin with that? I think the biggest really the most important thing to do is to completely believe really with every ounce of your being, believe that you are not doing anything wrong. Mm. And I think that's where it's really hard Yeah, because you see the vision of what kind of parent you want to be. And you're experiencing something so different from that. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: very easy to internalize that blame. And that's why I've been trying to hit home so hard. There's no choice. We're not choosing. This is not, you know, something that we are doing consciously. Our body is responding in a way that it is most familiar to us. Mm -hmm. And in a moment of threat, your body will do only what is most familiar. It is not a moment to learn anything we cannot we like, you can't learn how to tie a shoe when you're running from a bear you, it's just not possible right and so really hold on to that 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 you are doing the best that you can and there is always an opportunity to do better going forward just really really believe that really believe that and i think once you get there especially if you have children who are old enough to understand and they can understand pretty early, I would say from some kids, maybe 18 months, two years to say, I need a break. I need Mm -hmm. a timeout. I, whatever words you use in your family or in your home, I need space and get yourself out of that situation Mm -hmm. and let your body do what it needs to do to come back. And you'll see, you will be so much better at co-regulating and being there for your child and really seeing them and understanding what's going on when you can bring yourself down first. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. And you know, I, what we do sometimes, cause I don't, we don't really do timeouts like as punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, tr- when I can, I try to kind of frame it as, Mommy's having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. I need a break. Um, I will be right with you in a few minutes. I just need to step away. And so helping my daughter who's four now. So she's kind of understanding more now, but helping her to understand that it's not that I am separating myself from her as a form of punishment because she did something wrong. It's not really about her. And I don't do this perfectly all the time. Sometimes I do make it about her because I'm yelling and I'm mad and I'm repeating all of the same patterns um, that I had that I experienced growing up. Um, but when I can, you know, I'm making sure she understands that it's not about her. It's really about me. And then if I do mess up, I'm coming back and I, I shouldn't say mess up. Um, that's judgmental. But, um, when I do do something that I wasn't happy with, I didn't want to do, I said something to her that I didn't feel okay about. I come back later and I repair that. And I tell her, I said something that I didn't mean I was having a hard time. I apologize to her. And, you know, as you were saying that I keep thinking, you know, I, I was thinking about, well, it's hard to accept that it's that we're doing the best we can and that it's not a choice because I think so many of us have this fear because a lot of this stems from how we were raised. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have Mm -hmm. this fear that if we're repeating the same patterns that our children are going to grow up to have the same challenges that we're having right now. And nobody wants that for their children. And so we want to do better for them. And, um, but I think a huge piece of that too is, you know, the repair part afterwards can make exactly. such a huge difference if we're cognizant of what is going on and we're communicating that to our children and we're coming back and apologizing and making things right i didn't get that when i was a kid exactly. i didn't get the apologies after um so i think that's a huge thing to just keep in mind if you are a parent who is struggling with this kind of thing
1: i love that you said that you're so so right it really takes one or two small adjustments and they look small Cause they feel small to us because we want to do wholly different things, mm-hmm. but it really takes one or two adjustments from before to have a completely different trajectory set, set our children up for a different trajectory than we had for sure. And so the repairs are so critical. The apologies are critical, even acknowledging I need a break. I mean, how many people grew up with parents acknowledging that, right? Mm. You know, such small things like that are actually really, really hugely Im- important and and really impactful. So you're doing great. It sounds like.
0: Oh, thank you. I I don't feel like that most days, but I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's that. hard. It's such a struggle. It really is. Um, it's a lot to deal with, especially when you're really like deep in this respectful parenting world. And you're reading about it all the time. And you're like every day, I'm just, I'm not living up to my own expectations. It's tough. Um, and I know that a lot of people listening to this are also really struggling with that. So, um, thank you for talking with us about it. Is it so I know, you know, you're saying that it's not a choice in the moment you are in that stress, you're in that response state. It's not a choice, but through the, the work that you do, um, with people. And I know you work more with, you know, pregnant women, but through that same kind of work, can it become, um, you know, I don't know if it's with practicing over time or just being more mindful. Can it be that we're not reacting so much to our children and we're not feeling as stressed. We're feeling safer in those moments. Is it possible to work through those things and, and improve it in those moments?
1: Yeah. And it goes back to your question about training. The training is essentially training your body so that you are in that rest repair mode most of the time and not in the activated state most of the time that in and of itself is one part of the training. And the second piece is being able to catch it on its way up. So it never hits the peak, not never. I don't want to say never so mm-hmm. that it rarely hits the peak. And that way, when it does hit the peak, because it will, because the goal is never to be non-existently stressed or non, you know, never, ever angry or never, ever overwhelmed. That is never the goal that is completely unrealistic, right? Mm -hmm. But that when it does hit that peak, it's rare. It's not as common as it is right now. And that's essentially the training,
0: training piece of it. Absolutely possible. Awesome. So if, somebody is out there, me, I'm the person, I'm the somebody who wants to learn more about this, wants to like figure out how to retrain themselves to, you know, be in this safe state of body and that they're not in these stress responses. Um, where, where should we start and where can we find you and your work and your resources?
1: Yeah. Well, I think where to start for yourselves is start with an inventory, start being really honest uh, with yourself about, and it's, that's hard. I will be so honest. I say all of these things, but I do this work myself. I have many, I have been, yes, <laughs> this is not coming from a place of I've got it perfectly. It's done. It's not at all the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so start with that inventory and get really honest with yourself. What are your triggers? When do they come up? How does it show up? What is that familiar physiological state that my body constantly goes to, every single time. And it's from that place that then these behaviors come, right? What is that? What's happening? Get really honest with yourself. And, you know, that will take time because it's not an activity that we can do in five minutes. It's heavy and it's hard Mm -hmm. to give yourself some grace and do it slowly. And in that alone, you will identify some patterns. You'll start to see where some of those open spots are, where you can start to unclog that pipe a little bit. That awareness alone is so, so, so huge. Um, and, and that's usually where my clients will come to me is having done that and, and have recognizing, okay, this is the pattern that I see. Um, as, as you mentioned, I work with pregnancy and so it's, it's typically around fertility or getting pregnant, but they there's patterns that you start to recognize and really identify. And when you can do that, you kind of see what that open door is and that's where
0: the work can begin. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Okay. So what resources do you offer? How do you support people? Um, Do you work or do you only work with um, pregnant pregnancy right now? I do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Specifically for women who have a history of preterm birth or late-term
1: loss or high-risk pregnancies complications in the past and are wanting to get pregnant again. Yeah. And um, I think we have a resource for your listeners. Um, We have a, a, a seminar that, has been really, really successful and really helpful for a lot of people who are feeling afraid of getting pregnant again after Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is that you've been through, there's zero judgment about that. But if you're feeling scared of being pregnant again, um, I I believe we have a a link for you for Fearless Pregnancy, which um, has been really helpful. It'll go deeper into some of these examples that we've talked about and and what to
0: do and how to get started and, and how to start unclogging that pipe. Excellent. Yes. And I'll link that in the show notes. And then I think you also gave us a discount code. Um, So 15% off that seminar. Thank you for that. That is with the code uh, Taylor K. So that sounds amazing. Um, Where else can we find you and your work? Yeah. So for all other uh, parts of my work, um, I, you can grab my
1: book, listen to my podcast all from my website at parijatdeshpande.com. It's my full name.com. And there you can find out how to work with me privately as well. And I tend to hang out on Instagram. So if you're there, I'm at healthy.highriskpregnancy. So come by, say hi, let me know um, what you took away from this uh, interview. I love hearing from listeners. So come by and say
0: hello. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That was, that was so informative. I just thought it was really fascinating and it makes me want to really dive into this even more. Um, and now I have some starting points. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me.